0: I'm a big believer in the, in the notion that evil happens not because uh, of evil people, but because good people do nothing. And, you know, every time we see one of these big scandals, uh, it becomes very evident that lots of people knew what was going on, but didn't do anything about it.
1: Building a successful real estate career requires you to adapt, pivot, and constantly master new skills.
2: hello everyone good morning i hope you are all doing well Uh, we're gonna wait i'm sure there'll be a few people filing in as we get on with the conversation but we'll get started and you guys can catch up with the conversation uh today we are very excited to welcome dr wendy Sukié to the program um she is a professor of the toronto metropolitan university and the leader of the Diversity Institute, and we are so happy to have her on. This is a conversation we've been wanting to have for a while. Um, I know it's something that we've spoken about with many of you over the last little while, just in terms of the things that we are seeing in the industry, uh, specifically around uh, racism, and just how we can be better and uh, be better allies and just work to make sure that our industry is feels as safe as possible for everyone and so we couldn't think of a better person to welcome than Wendy so what Wendy welcome and thank you for coming on today oh my pleasure
0: it's you know um, the diversity institute has been around for a number of years and we focus on um, really looking at ways to help uh, organizations industries tap into talent markets and and so on and I didn't Know a ton about real estate, except uh, as a consumer. And what was so interesting to me is that, on the one hand, the industry has one of the highest uh, levels of mobility, in that, you know, it really is entirely dependent on your level of talent. There are not huge barriers to entry as long as you pass the exam. And if you can sell, you can be successful. And as a result, we see, you know, lots of women, including my real estate agent, becoming millionaires at a level that is is far beyond what we see in other sectors. We see opportunities for newcomers, many of them racialized and so on, because it is so driven by performance. On the other hand, we do, as you mentioned, Katie, see see challenges around uh, both the experience of real estate agents working with each other and in brokerages but more often working with clients or particularly financial institutions. And so it's a, it's a really interesting um, uh, industry from our perspective. And because we're so focused on entrepreneurship, you know, I would argue that real estate agents are the quintessential entrepreneurs. So huge opportunities uh, to, I think, make the sector better.
1: Yeah, definitely. I don't know. Daniel, did you want to jump in there? Yeah, uh, sorry. It it froze on me for a second there, but I I, (laughs) I couldn't agree more. And, And I think this is why it's so important that we have this conversation, not just today, but hopefully this is a spark for a lot of people that get people thinking beyond just what they see in media or what they think, you know, the quote unquote right answer is. Because like you said, there's so much going on in terms of the number of people and the number of experiences people have and it really is representative in a lot of ways of society because of so many different relationships that are taking place within the industry like you said and then also with our own clients and the people we work alongside outside of the industry. So um, I I guess at the risk of being too broad because there's so many kind of broad 10,000 foot questions but maybe starting with that what are the sorts of of big ticket item things you see in industries like ours that are, you know, I guess becoming a bit of a red flag or the items that merit discussion as it relates to common forms of racism and and discrimination, things like that in in our industry and and in general in business?
0: Well, I think, you know, the first, obviously the first barrier was for women, um, women in the industry. And in fact, we still find that women sometimes don't get the same level of support, mentoring, training, coaching, connections, and so on that their uh, men colleagues do, depending on the brokerage firm, depending on on the structure. We also know, and this is a sad um, state of affairs, but women also feel more vulnerable and unsafe. If you think about the processes uh, that are involved, at least pre-COVID with selling homes where, you have to go to places on your own uh, with strangers. You know, there, there's, a whole, there's a whole dimension of being a woman in real estate that is quite different than, than being a man. And we know, for instance, in commercial real estate, women are particularly um, underrepresented at the same time. As I said at the outset, just look at the winner circles that are advertised and you see a lot of women at the top of, of their field and increasingly in associations and so on. So it's a, it's a bit of a double-edged sword. When you think about racialized people, you know, it's important to understand there's a real difference between the experience, for instance, of someone who is uh, of Chinese origin versus someone who is Black and the nature of their experiences. Um, Again, some really shining examples of success from different um, ethnic groups and, and, uh, and agents, partly because markets are changing so dramatically. So if you think about it, half the population in Toronto is racialized. Half the population in Toronto was born outside of Canada. And as a result, that creates huge opportunities for agents, this is a cat. <laughs> a I saw it in the background.
2: For, 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 so for agents,
0: <laughs> to uh, to capitalize on their knowledge of culture and customs and communication styles and so on. On the other hand, we know that racialized agents often report experiences of racism. Um, at the hands of their colleagues but just as often they observe racism in how their clients are treated by banks how properties are evaluated there was just a study that came out recently that said that um, black property owners tend to receive lower valuations on their properties when they're trying to sell so it's it's a it's a it's not just agents who experience the problems it's also your your clients, and your customers, at the same time, we can see that diversity can really be a strength in breaking into new markets and, and growing business. Um, you know, it, it goes without saying that that uh, people who are um, in the, identify as LGBTQ2S+, especially in some communities, smaller communities, more so than large metropolitan centers, often face homophobia and um and and there are also property owners who will refuse to lease property to uh to gay couples for example so it again it's both on the supply and the demand side that we see issues and of course indigenous peoples have a particular set of of barriers partly because half live on reserve where they don't really have property in the traditional sense that that we would think of it, it's, it's communal property typically. And so when they go outside of, of their community to try to invest or purchase property, they don't have the same um, set of assets or the track record that someone who um, lived in a big city might have. So Indigenous peoples also face, face um, challenges, both as, as consumers and they're very underrepresented in the in the sector. And if mm-hmm. we look at persons with disabilities, you know, again, it's 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 clear that while talent can can trump everything, accessibility issues and so on can also play a factor. So, so you know, I always look at at um, issues around diversity and inclusion as opportunities. As well as challenges, because as markets are changing, the more understanding you have of people who are different from you, the more successful you will be. As the population is changing, if you're trying to build the talent pool, if you're trying to attract and retain people to the industry, you've got to create inclusive and safe environments and and maybe rethink. Um, some of the ways that uh, businesses operated in the past.
2: Mm. So much great stuff and so much, so many questions that just came from all of that. Um, when, one thing I'm, I always struggle with, and I hope the questions that some of the questions I might ask aren't coming across as, um, I mean, they might just come across as naive or um, what have you, but um. I find there's a fine line between understanding different uh, cultures and backgrounds and their styles of communication, their styles of negotiating their styles of doing business versus stereotyping those people and seeing them as, you know, as, as, as a, a different background and making assumptions based on what you see. And so do, do you have any, I guess, tips or, or ways to kind of, understand where people are coming from based on their background, but also making sure that we're not just fitting them into a box or, you know, stereotyping them.
0: Huge, hugely important question. And one of the reasons why this is always so, um, always so challenging. And I mean, the best thing to do is ask, don't make an assumption. You know, one of the things, um, and and I've of a particular generation where, you know, People talked about husbands and wives all the time. For example, we're now in a in a space where that's no longer appropriate. So there are ways in which you can use language and you can treat people that don't make assumptions about what their you know marital status, sexual orientation, racial background, and so on might be. Um, you know, we see a lot of second, third generation racialized people who are constantly asked where they're from. You know, the answer is Scarborough or Etobicoke. Um, and, and, and so it is really difficult, um, difficult space to navigate. But I think most real estate agents have very highly uh, developed communication skills, intuition, you know, uh, ability to read people. And, and asking questions uh, without making assumptions, I think is, is really key. The, the other thing we know is there are patterns. So certain ethnic groups are more likely, for example, to want multi-generational homes, but you can't always assume that's the case. So I think, I think being, um, being um, well-educated on some of these issues, asking questions, and really becoming aware of your own unconscious biases or assumptions that may get in the way of, of your success. Like I learn every day about something that I have, I have taken for granted that is, is simply no longer appropriate. You know, I spent over 30 years trying to advance women in technology. Well, now there's a big focus on rethinking how we construct gender and getting rid of notions of men versus women, making space for people who are non-binary or identifying different ways. For someone in my age group, that's really quite a different way of thinking. But we have to constantly adapt. I mean, who would have thought in this, you know, 10 years ago, that the big topics of discussion in many organizations are around um, uh, you know, unisex bathrooms or, or accommodation of uh, gender reassignment surgery and so on in benefits packages. Like the world constantly changes. And, and I think in an, in an industry where, where understanding consumers and consumer demand is key to your success, diversity and inclusion should just be part of everything you do
1: hundred percent i think that's the best way to put it is we talk so much in this industry about you know whether it's knowing your client or knowing the industry or the product and researching that is just a key pillar of what that represents it's not just what's a house worth or what does this neighborhood look like or or things like that it's How is the construct of society changing and the people that we deal with? And, and, you know, the list is, is a long one. And I think if I were to take a step back and I really want to dive into some of the tangible approaches we can and should be taking for someone who's very new to the concept or maybe just uncomfortable with the concept of the fact that the world is changing, which is a lot of people, right, or people who are just unaware, where when we talk about educating and and kind of building your own mindset first, before you start, like you need to be comfortable with what you know and what you want to know before you start telling and asking other people necessarily, what is it that I would do as someone who's really trying to embrace diversity and trying to understand the way, you know, people should be interacting and could be interacting in a perfect world. What's that starting point for people in terms of educating themselves?
0: Yeah, you know, there are lots of, uh, there are lots of um, different, um, different ways you can approach it a lot depends on what kind of learner you are very often real estate agents are independent learners, you know, they they do self study, they don't necessarily like to go to class and, and so on. So, you know, there are lots and lots of online courses um or things you can read that just give you or podcasts and 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 webinars and and youtube videos that can help acquaint you with just some of the basic concepts around equity diversity and inclusion you know why are we so preoccupied right now with truth and reconciliation I'm I'm embarrassed to say how little I knew about the history of genocide in Canada I'm I'm but when I studied history, there was a very different framing of Indigenous peoples. And there was no talk of, you know, how settlers gave them blankets laced with smallpox. You know, just just in the last couple of years, my own appreciation of the extent to which um, we have a lot to account for in Canada has increased dramatically. So, you know, reading is is one way. There are more structured courses. I know that um, TREB is working, for example, in, in the Toronto region on specialized training. I think ARIA has stuff as well. The different, real, your, your real estate boards and agencies um, often have you know, programs that are designed to give you some basic EDI training. I think, you know, for me, the biggest thing is adopting a growth mindset and and recognizing that the world is changing and that we have to continuously learn and adapt and understand. And for me, one of the, you know, one of the most eye opening things was I took the Harvard implicit bias test. It's online, you can take it, you can pick you know, categories, you can look at women in technology, you can look at um, your attitudes to black people and so on. I have worked for 30 years promoting women in technology. When I took the Harvard implicit bias test, it showed when I am made to um, make decisions quickly, I associate men with science and technology, women, with arts and culture, hmm. that is so deeply embedded in my psyche that, in spite of everything I've, i you know I've studied and talked about with respect to women and technology, I still have these instincts that if i 'm pushed quickly, I will make assumptions and so really trying to understand that becomes important. I think understanding privilege. Um, is important. And a lot of times that's, um, you know, they talk about white privilege. I actually think that race certainly does confer a certain level of privilege. Like if I go into Holt Renfrew, no one's going to follow me around. I've never been kicked out of of a coffee shop because I wasn't purchasing something, I just wanted to use the washroom or I was standing around, I've never been pulled over by the police for no reasons. Like my lived experience as a white person is is with a you know good education parents um, parents who were um, you know supportive and so on. It's completely different than the experience of of someone else and start but there are other dimensions of privilege right i grew up quite poor my father died when i was young my mother was a medical secretary i didn't know about what opportunities were in terms of employment i didn't know which fork to use i didn't know how to network or or hang out with you know rich people and so you know you can go uh, you can go through a whole set of your own experiences and start to really think about how your experience is different than someone else's experience. I've never had to worry about publicly expressing affection to my partner. What would it be like to spend your whole life concealing uh, your sexual orientation, et cetera? So, you know, for me, it starts fundamentally with self-awareness. And then also this, this idea, you know, that both of us have talked about, which is, thinking about your clients and trying to understand your clients and and recognizing that um, everybody is unique and different and you've got to try to get inside their heads and the more aware you are of some of these um, dimensions of diversity, the better able you will be to make money
2: yeah oh that's that's so important because i think especially when it comes to privilege i think there's a lot of embarrassment and shame that people hold like they don't it's like they don't even want to admit it but it's more as you said that awareness piece and just recognizing that this is my experience and i've had privilege due to the fact that i'm white or that i'm in a certain socioeconomic class um and so I think if, if if people can just shift their mindset, as you said, that will just change so much. And even in real estate, as you said, when you're dealing with your clients, if you're working with somebody from a different culture or background, recognizing probably the different experiences that they've lived to date and how it, how long it's taken them to get to the moment of probably purchasing their first home, it's taken them longer because of all of the stuff that they've encountered through their life. So um I just think that's such an eye opening thought and just so many things to think about with that. Thank you
0: for bringing that up. Yeah, you know, Um, I I don't know. um, I'm happy to provide some of these um, resources after the fact if it would be of interest. But we we actually um, worked with an agency called Zulu Alpha Kilo, which is brilliant. Mm -hmm. and and other partners to develop something called the micropedia on microaggressions and that's something else that people have only come to be more aware of recently and that is how unintentional use of language or or interactions can really deeply uh, offend or hurt or make people feel less than. And, you know, I know certainly as a woman who was in um, non-traditional industries for a long time, I know what a microaggression looks like when it's directed at women, you know, And, Mm -hmm. and many women have the experience of sitting around a table, they say something, no one pays any attention, a guy says the same thing, everyone goes, oh, what a great idea. You know, I've had bosses who in a room crowded of industry colleagues would yell out hey blondie you know things like you know when my first job there were like sunshine girls on the wall and the men talked about everybody's bodies and the only time they took me out for lunch was to a strip joint to see how I would behave so I know what microaggression looks like but what I have become more aware of is how microaggressions feel for people who aren't like me. Um, and and you know, for instance, um, I was talking to um, a uh, a black woman that I know very well. Who? Oops, I wonder if I'm still on. Sorry, not sure who dropped off, but I'm back. Katie, you're uh, muted. Sorry. I don't know where no Daniel problem. went either. We're all, yeah, that's weird. Okay, well, we're still, oh, there he is. So oh, there's <laughs> Daniel. So
2: weird. We all just kind no, of but I,
0: I, I was just talking about how microaggressions are often unintentional. You know, I knew my boss really liked me, but he didn't understand how it would feel for being me, one of the few women in the context, to be called Blondie, given all the associations that blondes have which are not necessarily a PhD in information technology so so you know but it wasn't until I I talked to other colleagues like um, a friend who is a Black woman who said you know the number of times people would say to her my you're articulate Hmm. with the subtext being for someone like you And the first time she said it i I sort of thought oh that's interesting i wouldn't have thought of that and then i heard a black woman politician say exactly the same thing a pattern in how we treat people who are black particularly black women you know the the i i i have i have offended people i'm sure deeply by coming up and stroking their hair right and and if that is a thing that is incredibly offensive to many. It, I was never aware of it. it wasn't, I wasn't trying to be unfriendly. I was actually trying to be friendly. But there are lots of small things like that, gestures, you know, asking people where they're from when they were born in Canada and speak mm-hmm. perfect English, asking people what their native tongue was when they may have an accent but they were educated at a top university in English in India. It's it's that kind of stuff that's a little more amorphous and hard to get your hand, your head around, but you have to constantly be aware of the fact that it doesn't really matter what you intend. What matters is how people feel as a result of what you're saying or doing.
1: Absolutely. Like the the irony, like you said, is that a lot of times—not all, but a lot of times—these these microaggressions are a function of something where you're actually trying to be nice. You're trying to achieve the opposite of the outcome that you likely to this point. And, and like you said, I'm sure we do it every day still. And and the more aware, I guess, what we all we can do is try to be more aware and try to ask the questions and not assume. Um, but it's it's a really interesting thought, because in some ways, I think a worry people have with this overall topic, and this as a, as a subtopic to that, is people kind of get, def- now they switch into being over-defensive, right? Because, well, now now what can I say? What can I do? Because when I'm trying to be nice, it's not nice. If I'm not sure. nice, it's not nice. Everything's not nice, <laughs> right? So and And that 's wrong, I think people need to kind of give their head a shake, take a step back, and say, "Well, no, understand things more, and don 't just jump into the answer
0: It was one of the unintended consequences of the me too movement right is that a lot of senior men just said oh I don't want to put myself in a, in a vulnerable situation so I will never have dinner with a with what a woman colleague I will stay <laughs> away I will Sorry. never have coffee with a woman colleague I will never put myself in a in a position where I might be um I might be uh jeopardized and so you know it it's definitely really really complicated but um The fact is, it's important. And as you know, I just keep coming back to uh, the idea that, you know, if your success is dependent on your relations with people, and if people are changing, you clearly have to be, you know, at the forefront of some of this thinking, um, if you're going to be successful. Definitely.
2: I think what a lot of us in the industry face as well is just seeing our own clients, especially when it comes to rental properties. Um, if we're working with a landlord, um, very obvious racist comments, um, and obviously, um, it that makes it awkward for us working with those people. It would make it a heck of a lot more awkward for the person and obviously a lot more hurtful for the person that's experiencing that racism, but can you recommend any approaches or is it just basically calling it out and whatever their reaction is, it's kind of like that's their problem type thing. And we just choose not to work with racist people. Like, is
0: that the answer? Well, it's, it's a, it's a real challenge. And, you know, as in your industry, like the, the analogy that I think of is, in a work environment there are power structures and if you see your boss do something that's offensive you take a risk if you call them out publicly you take a risk if you confront them um on the other hand you take a risk if you if you become a bystander a bystander because really um that you know I'm a big believer in the in the notion that evil happens not because uh, of evil people but because good people do nothing and you know every time we see one of these big scandals uh it becomes very evident that lots of people knew what was going on but didn't do anything about it so i think you know i'm i'm not the diversity police i think people have to decide where to draw where to draw the boundaries i mean one of the one of the um one of the strategies that might depersonalize it for example is if in the contracts that um, agents sign with with clients you have really clear non-discrimination clauses in there referencing legal obligations under the human rights act then it's not about you calling them out it's 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 baked into, you know, we, we are subject to laws, we are subject to the human rights code. It is, it is a violation to refuse somebody accommodation because of their, their race, their creed, their gender, and so on. So that might be a way to kind of reduce the burden on individuals, try to bake into the system more clarity around, around expectations. The other thing that um, Very Smart Woman uh, explained to me on on a panel we were on once, is there's a difference between calling out and calling in. So calling out is where you stop and you draw attention to the behavior in a public way. And sometimes that's necessary. Calling in is you take someone aside and you have a private conversation with them in an effort to change their mind or, or their behavior. And a lot depends on your relationship with the person and, and the power structures um, that you find yourselves in. But that's something also to really think about is, is how you, how, you, um, how you deliver messages that may be unwelcome. Uh, to clients and I mean real estate agents do that all the time I walked in looked around my house and said it's a teardown crushed my little spirit (laughs) stabbed me in the heart but you know real estate agents have to tell people stuff they don't want to hear all the time so you know there may be ways to 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 come up with strategies for for dealing with some of those issues and also You know sometimes evidence doesn't doesn't matter but sometimes it does and we know in many cases you know people are making assumptions about what kind of tenants these people will be based on stereotypes and so on and sometimes you know showing that that those assumptions are wrong could be really really helpful i mean landlords want money right so so you know um renting a place to a, a a a racialized professional may actually be one of the best uh business decisions you make
1: yeah well i i think the i mean, it's amazing because we do go through the contracts and the boilerplate stuff with clients but you're right it's baked into the agreement in such a way that we talk a lot about setting expectations and ground rules as we begin a relationship with any new client, especially those of whom we don't have pre-existing relationships with. Because we want to work with people we're comfortable with as well. I don't want to generalize because this is people's livelihood and there's a lot of people out there who will take whoever rings their phone, right? And, and hopefully they're good people. But being able to establish that on the onset and really not saying, hey, you better not be a racist or I'm not working with you. Like not that, but to your point, there's a certain understanding in the relationship we have with our clients. And if, if there's a situation where things are going to be uncomfortable or get uncomfortable, it's easier to address it quickly when you've already established the way you're going to work together. And, and whether that's within the rules that are in the contract or just the way you work and the type of person you are, that's really helpful. Um, in a situation like that, like what Katie was talking about, this is kind of blending two things and it's another gray area where we witness clients of ours, let's say, who might be racialized. So let's say the landlord, or let's say we're working with a a seller who is from a certain background and there's people offering on their property who are from the same background. And the person we're dealing with is generalizing or making comments about the person on the other side of the table. However, in some sense, they're speaking from it from an experience that maybe, you know, it's, it's, it's more at-home experience than what we have, but still sounds inappropriate, right? Because it doesn't make it right. How do you or do you address those sorts of situations where it seems like someone's speaking from a greater background of knowledge, but it still sounds wrong? Racist,
0: yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's so, it's so interesting because there is a difference between cross-cultural knowledge and and understanding that for example the style of bargaining and deal making in in some cultures is very different Mm -hmm. than the style in others i remember the first time i went to uh, to china and fortunately i had a colleague with me who was who was chinese and i went to a meeting and we had a discussion and i could not understand what had happened? Do we have an agreement? Do we not have an agreement? You know, do they like me? Do they hate me? Is this moving forward? Because the nuances and the subtleties of the interaction were so alien to my style of interaction and, and knowledge and I was fortunate because my colleague was able to say, "Oh no, it was good, you know, but you have to recognize that building these relationships, is very different than in North America. It's going to be ten dinners before you get to yes, as opposed to a five-minute conversation. So, so you know, there, there's definitely um, there's definitely cultural differences that are well established, well documented in in terms of you know whether people are bargaining or whether the price is the price, um, that sort of thing i think um it's hard to argue that someone is racist against their own their own community although i suppose it's possible that right. that uh that that happens but you know again sometimes questioning um or 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 challenging but in a gentle way you know oh that sounds that can you explain that to me because that doesn't sound right to me you know there i'm i'm i am not skilled at these things i'm the first to admit that i make mistakes all the time but it seems to me that that's the kind of thing that you can do is just well what do you really mean by that you know because to me that sounds like this maybe what you mean is whatever trying to reframe might be a way to keep the relationship developing um but also signal that you know you're not real comfortable with the way things are, are being presented.
2: That's great. Um, so just as I being conscious of time and your, and your times, uh, we want to make sure that, um, if anybody does have any questions on the Facebook group right now, you can jump in, um, and we'll, we'll wrap it up. But as, as my final question, um, I, I just wanted to understand a little bit. Um, one thing I've been struggling with myself is just ensuring that, with whatever we do, whether it's the podcast interviews or um, bringing professionals um, to speak to our brokerage or even our agents, um, ensuring that there's always diversity and that we're seeing a different mix of people is really, really important. But sometimes I find, and I wonder if other people struggle with this, you know, you're not, it it kind of feels weird to search out people from different backgrounds, you know, because you don't, you're not meaning to get them to participate no. yeah like you don't want to do it because of their diver their background you want to do it because they're also professionals and they can speak well on the subject um so is it just getting over
0: that and just always like I guess once you I do think that, it is. honestly yeah. I think it is I think okay one of the things that I think ha- we have to be really careful about is making the assumption because someone is black they want to speak on behalf of the black community, Mm. they want to speak about their experience as a black person, because sometimes they they just want you to treat them like a real estate agent. That being said, real estate agents are diverse, you know, you just need to look at the the top listers, and so um, or the top performers so so you know, I do think that we tend to rely on our social networks and we tend to hang out with people who are like us. And so it may take a bit more effort or a bit more work to find someone who is not like you. But, you know, I think that you, you, you build the pool and you, and you, you, uh, overcome your uncomfort- your lack of comfort. And it's just yeah. really important not to assume, as I said, that some people want to speak based on their identity, I, especially people who have been discriminated against. I mean, I know a very prominent um, lawyer who I knew was Indigenous because he was my, he was a student at, at Ryerson who had never disclosed his Indigenous identity as he was moving up. As he was in law school, he didn't take the, the benefits that, that he could have got as an Indigenous student, or as he was scaling um, the legal profession. He never divulged his Indigenous identity until after the Kamloops um, discovery of un- unmarked grades. And that was sort of the, the, the event that led him to be willing to to self-identify, but I know people, you know, my vintage, who I know are gay or lesbian, um, who will not, under any circumstances, divulge their identity publicly or speak about um, those aspects of their identity. So it's such a personal, a personal thing that um, it's it's sometimes not not easy. And I think before you put someone on a podcast and start grilling them about what's it like to be a black person in real estate, you know, you want to make sure that they're comfortable talking about whatever the thing is that you're, you're trying to get them to talk about. But if you're bringing someone on to talk about, you know, sales, or housing trends, you know, their race, their gender uh their sexual orientation are not necessarily issues so so there's sort of two ways of addressing it just trying to get experts who are diverse and not because you want them to talk about their identity but then also trying to get people who might want to talk about their lived experience in order to help others understand more about how to be inclusive
1: would you say, for instances like, like the lawyer who didn't disclose that they're Indigenous or or situations like that, is it, and, and maybe it's different for everybody, is it because they don't want that to become what defines them beyond what they've built for themselves? Or is it more the, I'm afraid of what this might mean and what people think of me once they learn this?
0: I think it's both. Like, there's some women, and I'm sure Katie's meant them too, who absolutely don't want any discussion of what it's like to be a woman or gender because I made it. I'm as good as anybody else, you know, quit whining. You know, there are definitely people like that. Um, (laughs) I like to crush them, but (laughs) it's, uh, um, you know, and often when you look, you know, I, I was, I was on a panel with one woman who was like an heiress talking about how she had never had any, any barriers to her climb to the top of the company she inherited. It's like, yeah, okay, Um, but uh, so, you know, sometimes there's that that people have worked really hard to get where they are and they don't want their identity to be, uh, you know, uh, to result in them being treated tokenistically like, oh, yeah, you got there because. But in this particular instance and in many other instances it's It's fear of reprisal, it's fear of discrimination and and this particular lawyer said to me, You know the reason he didn't apply for the for the support that he could have gotten through law school was because he watched how indigenous students who identified as indigenous were being treated and and it was a way of of protecting himself. There's something called Discouraged borrower syndrome. Uh, we see it with healthcare. We see it with financial institutions. We see it with educational institutions, where people's deep experience of racism or bias, or their observations of racism and bias and discrimination, lead them to expect to be badly treated in those environments if they self-identify. And you know, there's something to it if you like we have Mm -hmm. the we have the evidence so so sometimes people just don't want the baggage that goes we see it a lot with people who have mental health issues or cognitive differences or invisible disabilities concealing their identity we see it a lot with muslims you know i um one of my students did research interviewed someone there was a guy who was a, a financial wizard on Bay Street, used to go out drinking with his buddies every Friday night. He told them he didn't drink because he was recovering alcoholic, because he didn't want them to know he was Muslim. So we see a lot of evidence of people concealing their identity in order to avoid being discriminated against because they're aware of what happens uh, to, uh, to people who do identify. Hmm. Yeah, so much, so much to process, Honestly, and
1: so I, much I, to understand. I was going to say, I, I, we we could talk for like the next five six Seriously. hours. We should <laughs> make this a multi-volume.
0: Yeah, because I well, I do have a, well, a ton more. Think about but... people who change their names, right? Mm-hmm. Especially you see it a lot with Chinese people who, if yeah. they grew up in Hong Kong, they have a Christian name or an English name, and so for yeah. their whole life they're called Joe. When right. <laughs> and that's not their name. I mean, right. the, 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 the steps that people will take to try to avoid being discriminated against or inconveniencing people is, yeah. is quite remarkable. And it, it it tells us there's a long way to go.
2: Yeah, there really is. But I think you brought so much great knowledge and perspective to this conversation like for me just taking away making less assumptions is really important understanding your own privilege and just be more self aware and thoughtful with every interaction that you have I think are good, probably first steps to take as you kind of navigate through this and, as you said, like, no matter how long you've been doing this and like, understanding this like there's always so much more to learn and the world is changing all the time so we're 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 constantly forced to adapt but that's a good thing and so we need to embrace that but thank you so much for for being a part of this conversation we really really appreciate it and um we'll make sure to share some of the the the, the notes that you had like the harvard implicit bias test sounds like a really great one to take i'd be mm-hmm. curious to do that but um, as we wrap up, is there anything else that we might have missed or anything you wanted to, to mention in, in terms of the Diversity Institute
0: at all? No, I'm really pleased to have been included. And, you know, we're continuing to work with a number of different real estate organizations to develop training materials and other tools for, for anyone on the, on the call who is actually in a management position or works in a brokerage firm. You know, the yeah. Diversity Institute also has tools for small businesses on how to really bake these these principles into their processes. So happy mm-hmm. to have people reach out if they want access to more resources, happy to provide you with a, a cheat list of things and would be yeah. very grateful if you would share them widely. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: We, we did actually, I know we're wrapping up, but we did just get a question because that's how it works, <laughs> <laughs> post conclusion. <laughs> but it's it's an interesting question because we didn't touch on it and uh, Christine's asking about age discrimination and she says that that seems to be something that's moving up the ladder a bit more in terms of and maybe it's always been something but i guess it's something that now also merits discussion as something that people don't talk about as much would you say that that's another area that is
0: Massive. maybe not picking
1: up steam but just a big massive
0: and as i as i have reached an age where i get uh, reduced subway tickets um you know you see it all sorry and this is political but i'll say it anyways lisa laflam getting turfed by ctv at the age of 58 um in spite of the you know the rankings of her shows like most women my age just gasped in horror and you know you see it um you see it, you see older women being devalued in part because, um, you know, often appearance is such a big piece of, of historically how women have been, have been valued. So, I mean, for sure we see it. I'm, I would not, I don't have evidence, but my guess is there's still people who assume that women don't have the resources, the assets, the capability, to invest that men do. If if someone's dealing with a couple, especially an older couple, maybe they're going to focus much more on what the man thinks because they assume that the man is a decision a decision maker. We also know that you know accessibility issues with the aging population, features in homes that provide more accessibility, even you know simple things like like um, shower bars and and you know maybe not ramps but but stairs that are not going to kill you if you if you slip and fall um so again it's both on the supply and 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 the the demand side that we see um we see challenges to older women in the workplace on multiple levels and we see challenges to um older canadians um in, in terms of the, the kind of accommodation, I would say, and I did talk about older women, because I do feel that the discrimination against women as they age is more acute than men. You know, as men get older with gray hair, they're wiser, they're knowledgeable, um, and, and often age and wisdom are connected when we think about men, less so when we think about women.
1: I'm still hoping that H helps me out in the looks department. <laughs> there's still time, there's still time. Uh,
2: it will help us all. <laughs> um, all right, well, that was a great question. And I think very timely given uh, the departure or the, I guess, uh, not this, that's a nicer word. How, how do we put it? The kicking out of Lisa LaFlam because that was, uh, that was a big thing. And I think a lot of people feel, uh, I mean, sorry, one more question to wrap that up. So I I have been seeing a lot of comments and assumptions on that. Is that okay? Like, I mean, I I agree with that. I think that she was like it had a lot to do with age because you don't see that with a lot of senior men anchors you know the way they're treated so 75 I think these five year
1: olds who can yeah, who can yeah. barely exactly. talk. O- o- yeah. only when the men are caught in a scandal is when they get is that that's when they get right go, something, yeah they have to have done something terrible and get it found out after 30 years of silence Right, <laughs> that's when they get kicked out
2: yeah, but when when Lisa LeFlam like 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 the, with the gray hair, I remember there was so much like conversation about that, like her hair. Like you would never have, like men would never deal with that. Like men, you know, they're aging gracefully; they're getting the the silver streaks, and all of a sudden, they're full gray hair or no Nobody's, hair. Oh, no hair. Nobody's talking about that yet. Women, it's like, oh, oh my god, like this is a whole you know yeah. story that
0: we have to. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. So. All right, <laughs> but it is it you yeah. know to me. I actually, in the circles that I travel in, I've seen quite a lot of chatter about it. I don't mm. think, uh, and especially because she was completely blindsided, like it wasn't yeah. a sort of planned transition right. session where she go like. So, I think it looks pretty bad, um, and and certainly the reaction among women, um, yeah. as I said, of my vintage was you know, yeah. oh my God, how could this happen And in yeah. this day and age? So, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, the, the stereotypes and biases are so deeply ingrained in our society, you really have to constantly stop and think and, mm-hmm. and question, um, your assumptions and, and what's going on around you and what's really underlying it. And for me, that's just a very raw um, case that I think is going to yeah. be discussed for a while. I think you're right. Yeah. Well,
2: Thank you again. We really appreciate your time. This is such a great conversation. And if you guys missed um, this, you can go back to the recording or it will be our podcast for next week. So we will make sure to share that and as well as all of the resources from the Diversity Institute. Um, A lot of great information there. So thanks again, Wendy. We appreciate your time.
0: Really appreciate being included. Love your industry. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you. 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 Have a good day. You too. Bye. Level up, never, never, level never, level never,
1: never, 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 level never, 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 up, never, up, never, up,